I think it's going to rain and it's going to stop. This is I Am a Griefist, a childhood cancer grief journey podcast. Zoom, 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 zoom. Hi, mom. Hi, Mia. How are you? I asked you first. (laughs) I know. I'm okay. I'm okay. Good. Good. We're zooming again. It's a little bit easier. (laughs) As long as it works. As long as it works. I know. We'll see after this. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to connect today to talk about Michelle. I know. She's amazing. David, I know. I, okay. So this is how it goes. People we've sort of have like this structure sort of, of how we do these things where, you know, we meet a new person and we sort of, I think it's part of our healing process is is having to debrief and sort of process what we heard in order for us to, you know, get through and to, I don't know, best support each other through these stories and these families and things. And so what we've been doing is connecting after we meet somebody new. And as I listen through the episodes and I edit and I try to clean up as much ums and dead noise that there is, I try to take notes and that's good. Yeah. And so for Michelle, I have, I'm looking at my notes and I just kept writing. There was so much she covered so much information that she shared that I just, mom, let's get into this. Let's talk about Michelle. Process Michelle. Well, number one, I want to say thank you to her because really there was so much information that she gave out. I really wish we would have had someone like her to talk to, to help with the sibling, the siblings, because mm-hmm. we, her cousins, because yeah. I think it would have been nice to actually not know what we're doing. Cause I don't know if anybody ever knows what they're doing, but at least have some insight of what might help. Yeah. Some guidance. And yeah, I had sort of made a joke earlier before she joined, like, wow, we actually have a professional <laughs> on yeah. here. I could give us some guidance and boy, like she just gave us so much information and even the information she gave us, I felt was only just like a piece of the knowledge she has, the expertise she has to be able to coach a family or to support a family through their loss. And so even like I said, we spent a good amount of time with her, but I still feel like there was so much I want to cover with her. Yes. Anyway, but let's take a deep dive and reflect on all the things she shared. Again, I have tons of notes, but let's get this started. So first of all, one of the notes that I made was she did her introduction and she says, hi, I'm Michelle Benio and I'm a mom of two. Mm -hmm. That was like outright. She's like, I'm a mom of two. And we talked about it before where I know sometimes that can be tough, not knowing the level of engagement with new people or new, new faces and you have to retell your story are you do you feel safe talking to Mm -hmm. people and having to explain you know I have one living you know all that but she was like I'm a mom of two boom she came out right out the gate yeah it's recognizing Um, that you don't forget your child you don't you know 
disassociate with it, I guess. You need yeah. to you need to validate that that child was here, that child, you know, was a part of our lives. Yeah. But she was another one that brought 20 plus years of one right. grief. Like she mm-hmm. can tell you all day about grief, but she had the expertise. She dedicated her life, yes. invested her time into supporting Deanna, David's mm-hmm. sister, her daughter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she was three when she, when David had died. And so she invested all that time in learning how to support her daughter. That's just yes. incredible. Yes. She also notated early on that she started journaling. I find it interesting how valuable journaling has become. Angelina said that. Yes. Right? And looking uh-huh. back and reflecting on her story and seeing like where, her, you know, the mental space she had, wherever she was in that mental space where she was taking you back into that time. I, I, I'm realizing that maybe I should journal about like this experience. Right. <laughs> did you, on it later. did you ever write anything down about what was going on in your life? Yeah. I blogged. Yeah, that's right. I did the, the website to, that's right. Yeah. That was, I need to go read that by the way. Anyway, it's, it's hard sometimes because, you know, good old Facebook reminds you of some of the things that you, that we posted. So mm-hmm. on the blog, what your sister posted, what you posted. So they're quick reminders of what we were going through during that time period. Sometimes yeah. it's really hard to, to read them. But what I thought was really interesting is that she said that she had this sense of foreboding with David, mm-hmm. that something bad would happen to him. Now, let me be real, mom. And it's hard to admit, but I do feel like that is my position right now with having kids. So I'm going to tell you, as far as me being a mom, with every child, I always felt like my own children. Now I'm talking about my own experience. I feared, why are we bringing kids into this world the way it is right now? So Mm -hmm. there's just, it's such a mess, Mm -hmm. but it's been a mess since I was born. It's been a mess since I was having kids and I got to the point of, even though I felt that foreboding with each child, like, oh my goodness, you know, what's going to happen to this child? What's going to happen to the world? What's going to happen? I also felt a sense of hope with each child. I just thought, what if this is the one? What if this is the one that's going to change the world? Mm. So, so you, it made you- me feel better. You are saying then that you had this level of foreboding with all of your kids when you were with the, with all of my kids, but also with all the grandkids, like there is one of these, like, oh my gosh, you know, I never thought one of these kids is going to get cancer. You never, I never get specific. Absolutely not. Yeah. But I did have a fear of cancer. Mm. I think I said that in the podcast that there was this I don't know why though, because it wasn't like I lost anybody to cancer when I was growing up or anybody close like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until I got older that, you know, my mom and one of my aunts, but I just remember thinking, what a horrible name, what a horrible, you know, just, yeah, that was it. And with each child, it wasn't like each grandchild. It wasn't like I thought something's going to happen to them, but there's always this fear of mm. God. I don't want them to get sick. I don't want them to fall. I still feel like that. I don't want my kids even driving right now, but I know that's a part of growing up because I 
always hear at work the people that are not watching out for the people. So basically you're drinking and driving in the middle of the afternoon and I'm hearing it because I've mm-hmm. got the people that are stopping them and arresting them for that. My grandkids are now going to be on the road. Yeah, <laughs> and I know. It's, time it's, for them it's to drive. always a fear. Yeah, it's always a fear. And when something happens, that's what I end up doing. When something happens to a child at my work, I call my grandkids. But mm-hmm. when they're when you're pregnant with them, you start thinking about that. Like, what if something happens to them? But like I said, then you. So are you saying then that my feelings are like normal? Normal. Yeah. Your feelings are normal. So then I'm thinking maybe that Michelle's feeling was maybe excess because she. It could have been. Because she didn't mention having those feelings with Deanna. No. So I wonder if it was like. Or, or I don't know. I don't know. It's everybody has their own explanation for it. You can have it. Like if something would have happened to, to Joe, cause he was my first, mm-hmm. I would have said, you know what? I knew when he was born, I knew when he was born, that was going to happen, but it was only because I worried about everything before he was born. How am mm-hmm. I going to, you know, I don't even know how to be a mom. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's where I'm at. I don't, and I, again, we can't speak to Michelle's right. level, but I am almost feeling like maybe what I'm feeling is normal. <laughs> I think that's what it is, is we all as moms, I think more than more so than men, I think, but again, because I'm a mom, so I can only speak from my own experiences that you do, you do worry about the future for your child. You do mm-hmm. worry that there might be something wrong, mm-hmm. even though we didn't have anything that had happened wrong in our family. But do you do worry that they're going to, this is before, you know, they checked when I was pregnant, they didn't do sonograms. They didn't yeah. do ultrasounds. You know, they didn't do the sonograms. Yeah. I think yeah. we don't do ultrasounds for them, but so I didn't even know what the sex was going to be. Right. I just knew I was having a child. Right. I, they would have me listen to heartbeat. But you, I always had this fear of what if they were going to be like missing toes or, you know, something, if they were going to be deformed somehow or, you know, Mm. born with a disability somehow. Mm. Not that that was going to change anything, but that was still a worry. What if they're not, something's not right. Maybe that's sort of where my brain is, but I digress. Okay. David had rhabdomyosarcoma cancer soft tissue yeah did i read that right did i get that right let me google that right now <laughs> i should have looked that up and i didn't i just wrote it down Rab- there, there oh. really is so many different kinds so it's a type of can- soft tissue such uh-huh. as muscle connective tissue such as tendon or cartilage or bone it usually begins in muscles that are attached to bones and that help the body move but it may begin in many places in the body. Um, So I thought it was interesting how they found the initial lumps, how the family found, I think it was, she said her husband found, you know, the lump, but he had his hands down his pants and then found these pelvic bumps. And then it just, they searched even investigated it even further and found that big one. Yeah. Because he couldn't sit still. We always think our kids don't sit still because they're super hyper. So that wouldn't have even, you know, put a red flag if he was, yeah. 
But then for something like that to happen, you're like, oh my gosh, how long ago was it that he started doing that? How long has he been, right. you know, uncomfortable? And we right. just thought, oh, he's just super hyper. He's just a boy. Because cancer isn't your go-to. Cancer no, isn't like, it's never oh. Your go-to. I got to check for that now. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's so silly. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting is there's a couple of things that Michelle had said that I like I heard Roxanne say the same thing. And I heard Roxanne in her story tons was she was like, you know, cancer it wasn't common, but it, when it right. did happen to people around her, it was like sad for them. It was yeah. so sad for that family. It was so sad for, because they're, you know, outside your circle. So sad right. for them. It happens mm-hmm. to everybody else, not you. But correct. She mentioned that. Although they say that cancer is rare in these children, what I'm learning is that it's not. It's not. Well, it's still, they still say that though. They, they only when you say read that some because of the research isn't there and they don't receive enough research right. to give us better analysis to get us better statistics to stop making these things right rare they're not rare stop it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny but it is something that they say like with the baby it was it's a rare disease and but it's a childhood disease so how does that make it rare if it's a childhood disease yeah right right and then she said that, you know, I guess she got uh, with talk statistics, she got an 80% cure rate. And she's like, no, not good enough. 80% right. is not good enough. And I know no. that we probably thought that too. I mean, I, I can admit, I thought that he, mm-hmm. the doctor had said, you know, best cancer to get shut the fuck up. It's right. cancer. Like, right. no, there's I nothing know. good about this. There is nothing, nothing good about that. No, there's nothing good about that. And then she, what this one was the other thing that reminded me so much of Roxanne is that they had approached her. I can't remember who she said, but had approached her about doing the make a wish. And she's like, no, my kid's not dying. And then they ended up going to give kids the world. I know. That's so cool. I love that. I love that. I find it interesting that so many kids, like maybe that's just a marketing and a consumer thing that the Kids are like Disney, Disney all day, the theme parks, amusement parks all day. And they have Legoland and they have all these other places too. But like Give Kids the World is just that place. It's just the place to go. I love it. It It is a place to go. I don't even know why they even, you know, give kids a choice. They should just <laughs> send them there. <laughs> just go there. But there is like, because one of the things, and and I remember that they, the questions that they asked her, like if there was somebody that she wanted to meet, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I know with the older kids, gosh, I can't remember. Do you remember that one in our class? I guess he must have been like 17 when he was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I think he asked, do you remember what he asked for? Like computer equipment or something? Oh, oh I don't know. I know who you're talking about. And they moved to like, they moved out of state when they were yeah. in that group. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But that's what I mean. The older kids can say, you know what? I've always wanted to meet, you know, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> <laughs> or I've always wanted to meet, you know, you know, a football player or somebody, yeah, you know what I'm yeah, trying to say? Yeah, Some, somebody yeah. famous. I want to go to the White House and meet the president if it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I could understand that. But yeah, 
but as a kid kid it's almost like gosh kid let's go to disney world let's let's go to give kids the world because that's the best place to go they basically right. built it for these children it's made for them and right. you know what it's going to be a uh, hopefully because i'm really hoping that this happens but i hope they do the beach for anna's pals because that would be another thing that we you know that they can list for like make a wish absolutely absolutely i mean yeah. that's besides the point i just i was yeah i love to see that they have to give kids the world and that's an option for these kids but i really think they should put give kids the worlds everywhere because i know like yes gracie charlie across the globe can't come all the way to the states for give kids the world and right. i can't even tell you i haven't looked it up so please fact check this but i don't even know if there is another give kids the world anywhere else but if I, you know that yeah. would be ideal was to, is to put yes one of these give kids the worlds everywhere to support yes. these kids they don't have to travel it's, far it's just like they do disney land disney in paris disney in japan disney mm-hmm. yeah they should have the give kids the world right around where there's a disneyland yeah I'm going to switch topics really fast. So Michelle was telling us about David and him being so tenderhearted and so kind. Then what really broke my heart listening back to the episodes was when David had told Michelle that he desperately wanted to die. You know what? When the kids are able to like describe their feelings because sometimes the kids are so small and you don't ever even see that they lose like hope. But mm. I think that's where he was. And, and there's, there was so much going on the chemotherapy that you're taking on top of the, you know, this thing that's growing inside of you mm-hmm. that couldn't have felt good for any of our children, you know? No, it, but it's so heartbreaking that, you know, it is heartbreaking. we, I'm trying to be sensitive, but also just recognizing the turmoil of David's experience. You know, yes. he, he even said that he called himself dumb. He wanted to cut his st- stomach open. And she just said he was just in such emotional turmoil. There is a and mental that- health aspect that comes in. I don't know if there's a, like, if you've been on this these types of drugs if it starts affecting your mental capacity or yes or if it's just you know having to fight for so long but this idea of there's no way that these children with the chemotherapy drugs that they're taking now that they are coming out unscathed there's just there's something more that's going on and this is traumatic oh yeah what age it's traumatic what you go through when you're battling cancer it's crazy all this stuff i don't even know how to say it it's amazing that they still come out loving their parents loving life because to the end i still felt like the baby was still happy and laughing not all the time but you know she still had that capacity to do that and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of kids lose that a lot of kids get to the point of like why why are we going through this you know it's yeah. so traumatic. What I it does take a physical and mental toll. Yeah. And what I'm really impressed with is that she sought help for David. Right. She, you know, she's talked about getting a therapist for him. And there, I guess mm-hmm. she had mentioned also that, you know, they had medication to help with, 
you know, what was going on with him because yeah. of all the emotional turmoil, but that's so important. I think even 20 years ago, that that was probably like taboo to send your right. kid to a therapist. I'm but sure to know it was. that, yeah. But to know that that helped him. Oh, that's we can't stress going to seek professional help enough. Right. Like, I think that's why we stress it so much is because we have seen that it has helped with us. Now, for us to now talk about how this took some, you know, it was a turmoil on the kids that are battling you know for a fact that it's a turmoil for their surviving siblings too. Absolutely. So, to her point. To her yes. point, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. It has to be. They're watching their parents going through stuff. They're watching the sibling going through stuff. It it has to affect our surviving siblings also. Yeah. So thank um, goodness that she's out there trying to help. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so... I have a question for Michelle that I didn't ask that I wanted to ask afterward. And of course you think of all the great things to ask after right. things already done. Yeah. But she had stressed that Deanna was overall a part of every aspect of David's journey, right? Mm-hmm. She was at the hospital. They didn't leave her with anyone. And she encouraged that as part of like, Hey, if there are parents listening that, are in the journey, include your, the siblings in the journey as well. Don't hide things from them, you know, be upfront with them, what's going on, Mm -hmm. engage in the emotional conversations, talk to them about what's going on. Now, my question for her is how can parents do this through COVID when COVID doesn't allow the siblings to be in the Mm -hmm. hospital to experience what's happening? Right. And having that conversation via Zoom or FaceTime in the hospital is not the same as being in person. Right. But I think it's probably a conversation that you can have after when you're at home with them, because that's what we did with the baby's brother is, I mean, sometimes he was there, sometimes he wasn't there and we Mm -hmm. would have conversations because he would ask. Right. And it wasn't like we were sitting there going, oh, we got to talk to him about it. He would ask. Yeah. But I know for a fact, I mean, Angelina spoke to this when she was sharing her story too, that, you know, and it's, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not saying what you did was wrong, but there were times where she could sense that the parents were going through something, but they were trying to be kind and sensitive to her emotions and maybe not fully sharing. Right. Their fears. Exactly. Exactly. Their fears. Yeah. Because you still want them to have hope. Mm -hmm. And even though like, Once we got on the other end of the spectrum, when they said when she relapsed and she was now, you know, 10% survival rate instead of the 90%, it's hard to tell a child that this inevitably, this is what's going to happen. Because as far as I'm concerned, I didn't truly believe that myself. I still believe that there was hope. I still believe that she was going to beat this all the way to the end. I felt like there's still a chance. There's still Where's my miracle? I'm going to have a miracle. Mm -hmm. So I think with kids, that's exactly how they feel too. This, there's going to be a happy ending at the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So I get to the point where she talks about God. Mm -hmm. My (laughs) listeners who have been with me from the beginning, you know that this is tough for me to have this be a part of the conversation. Now, look, I'm not anti-religion. Let's get this straight. 
I am not anti-religion. My mom is Catholic. I still love my mom. She's still part of this podcast. I respect everybody's position in their religion and all of that goodness. All I'm saying is I don't want this to be an argument. Right. <laughs> I don't want to argue because, but also like there's, there's definitely been some experiences with me and this is sort of where it comes from. And I don't know if I've talked about this yet. I probably have. I just, there's, we have a lot of episodes. So I've probably forgotten, but I, I do have a hard time engaging with folks that are very heavily influenced in religion and like make that the point of our conversation. And I just want to curse and do other things that are like not in line with that. And so I just think that, you know, we just don't connect in that manner, which is completely fine. And I'm okay setting that boundary. But what I appreciated about Michelle is that her journey with religion was part of her journey. Yeah. So, and, and I respect that. I completely respect that. And I appreciate her sharing that because it, it opens my eyes to other folks journey and how they've been able to get, or what does she say? Moving forward, or I forget how she said it, but, you know, being able to heal, to be able to grieve, if not heal, but just part of the grieving journey is including her God. So she said it was an important part of her journey. And I want to talk about it. That's great. I love that God was part of her journey. Now, mom, did you connect with her on some of the things she said about religion? For me, I think because it's been so long for her too, that maybe, I don't know, it's still amazing to me when I hear people that just lost their children that have kept their faith through that. It Mm -hmm. still amazes me when I hear people that are still very religious when they've lost a child, period, but when Mm -hmm. they lost a child to cancer. And I say that because, again, for me, it's that suffering that they went through that they Mm -hmm. had no reason to. It's I know it's not a punishment, but it sure feels like a punishment. Why would our child have to suffer like that? That makes no sense to me. Right. So for someone that has gone through that and still been able to believe that our God has been able to do this to their children and you still think that he's all powerful and he's, you know, God, I guess that there is someone like like that out there that can, I don't know. I still struggle with that. I'm doing better about that. But when I think about what we went through, I still feel that same anger. Yeah. Like I get it. I get that sometimes people have to have something to believe in in order to get through just the day to be able to get through what they went through, just knowing that there was someone right next to them, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, they felt like God was with them through this and helped them carry that burden that they were, you know, carrying. Right. I just feel like, I don't think that, I don't know how else to word it. I think she felt like as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, we were with her. That's what helped her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if religion, because it's not like you guys didn't go to Catholic school. Right. So <laughs> you guys knew about it. Right. Yeah. So I just don't know that that's what helped her is having her faith. I think what helped her is having her, you know, the support system that she had. Again, I'm amazed when people include their religion as part of their support system. But I think what she was saying is that she had a group, right? Her religious group was her support system also. She says she did talk about her the church. She said she had a group of people that supported, prayed for her. 
Yes. There were some interesting stories she said, and this is why I wanted to talk about this. And then, and again, I'll do respect. There's no nothing wrong with having religion or going. No, no, you know, there's leaning on wrong. religion. I, again, I'm I'm in awe of the people that can still. Yeah, but there are I some learned. things. There's some things that I want to draw a comparison to. Okay, so one of them being that she had found this yarn angel before the diagnosis, the angel of peace. Mm-hmm. And she felt a connection to that after David had been diagnosed. Right. She had found the apple crisp recipe, which I will share. If I haven't already did she shared send it, it to you? Social- yes, she did. Oh, so we cool. need to make it. Yes. yes. Okay. So if you, if I can remind you about this uh, apple crisp recipe that she found, she was been looking all over for this apple crisp recipe and she's been trying to make it off of, you know, maybe recipes off the internet or whatever. And it's never been the same. She couldn't find this recipe. So one day she's in the kitchen and she starts, you know, talking to God and she says, help me freaking find this recipe. And then she happened to look and see a corner of a piece of paper under the cabinet and she goes and finds it. Right. Right. I can tell you that when I'm frustrated and I'm like desperate for help, I will talk to the baby. Well, that's what I mean. Was it her son or was it God? (laughs) (laughs) And am I saying, yeah, am I saying David is God? Like I say the baby too? Like, I don't know. I'm, (laughs) So it's this not is like, yeah, this is where I'm coming from. So this is sort of like, I appreciate her story. I love that, you know, she leans on God for these sorts of, you know, little gems and assistance. But for me, I can draw the comparison when I do this with the baby. So for example, yeah. I can be in a fucking packed ass parking lot. And I'll go, okay, mama, can you help me find a parking spot? I just need to get to X, Y, and Z, please, please, please. Next thing you know, I have a, a, a spot right. opens up for me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I think that my baby is God. I'm not saying that, but right. I'm just trying to say that I've been in these scenarios before where I'm like so frustrated and I see a sign and I get a sign but I'm not attributing it to a God. I'm attributing it to my niece who is connecting and sharing her love with me is all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, I think that our children for me are with God and they're with our loved ones that have already passed. So you're saying it's a team effort. It's a team effort. Yes. (laughs) I truly believe that we have angels that look out for us. And that's why I thought, when the baby was diagnosed, our angels were looking out for us and caught it. And she's going to get, you know, everything's going to be good because she has that high percent of cure. So if anybody's going to be cured, it's going to be this baby mm-hmm. because we have a lot of angels that have been looking out for us before. So a lot of our loved ones that are, have passed already. But when it didn't happen, then it made me question everything. Yeah. Because we've yeah. we've always felt like there was something, right? We always, I always felt like that in any way that there was something that was steering us in the right direction, or helping us make decisions, or keeping us safe, keeping us from, you know, crazy things happening in our lives, and and this happened, and it's just like, where were they? Did it fall asleep? Yeah. <laughs> I found a meme that said, I think my angel drinks. 
<laughs> I think it's I think my guardian angel <laughs> but I found that right after she got diagnosed and I'm like God somebody somebody yeah. fell asleep at the wheel or something yeah. because <laughs> how did this happen yeah <laughs> yeah so Michelle she found some good analogies in in grief and in her journey one of them being the frozen lake and skating on a frozen lake yeah she did a really good job with that she described that you know sometimes you fall into the lake and you don't realize it's dark and freezing down there and it sucks down there and then she talked about the lemon of course there's a lot of people that will use that analogy to you know turning a lemon into lemonade but correct but she, but she just reinforced it. I feel like it was still valuable to hear. I know sometimes like when when someone wants to offer that to me, like make lemonade, I'm like, no, we don't. Right? You no, know, there, but, there is no. But I did yes. feel like because she's been through it, that it mm-hmm. it made me hear it differently. It made me hear yes. it so and absorb I, it differently. I hadn't heard this like basically skating on thin ice Mm -hmm. analogy where on the you know underneath is pretty dark but Mm -hmm. I really connected to that because I do feel like it's a very thin layer between us at least for me like being in a really dark place absolutely and it it doesn't take much sometimes and it's so hard because you don't want people to see that you're in that dark place. Right. And, you know, you go missing sometimes and you just don't want to answer the phone or you just don't want to, you just don't want to do anything. And sometimes people don't even notice that you're in that place. So, and it's hard. And because because on the outside, it looks like you're just skating along beautifully. Right. When you're really like, you're in danger. You in danger, girl. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's that from that it's movie just, ghost <laughs> that's right that's right would be gober brown yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny so there's there's so much knowledge that she shared about her work and yeah, i don't want to go job. go too far into it but like i just want to touch briefly on some of the things she shared that you know i just want to reiterate and and the things that we can do for ourselves and mm-hmm. to help us on the journey just every day. So she talks about good grief parenting. So as a reminder, Michelle created good grief parenting. And it sounds like she offers mm-hmm. coaching and assistance to families who have lost a child and are trying to support siblings. I don't, I know it's probably not exclusive to that, but I know that that was, you know, what she addressed with us and to help support families who might be listening. Who better? to talk with than someone that knows exactly what you've gone through. Exactly. And yes, and intelligent is because she studied it now mm-hmm. and has, and it isn't just, you know, try this to see if it helps. It's, this is what helped with Deanna. This is what helped with my child. Yeah. And the I, surviving. Found, I found that va- so valuable because when I talk mm-hmm. to therapists, I think there's a still, although I get, support. Although I get, you know, my needs mostly met, I never feel like I have an added connection to these people because they come from a place of understanding my experience and they can, they can from a like book smart say, Oh, this is what you're going through. And, you know, from a 
maybe a more technical standpoint go, you know, in the diagnosis and all this stuff. But I want someone to be able to relate to me and, Correct. you know, be able yeah. to speak to someone that go, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah. I know that feeling. Right. Yeah. So exactly. this is, this was a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. I loved it. But she talks about the good grief framework. So she goes into and gave us a little bit about, she called them heartbeats of the good grief framework. So good grief beliefs. And some of this was new. I hadn't heard it before. She used different terms. So it was helpful to, mm-hmm. you know, just refresh on some of the things that might be helpful. So good grief beliefs. I know she had mentioned, you know, sometimes we want to protect our kids from grief, but it's better to normalize their feelings. I think the other thing she said was that the kids don't want to bring it up with you either because they're afraid of hurting you because they know yeah. that every time they bring it up, you're crying. Yeah. And it's hard for them to to talk about it. So That's it's, right. it is trying to listen to them, trying to, you know, knowing she made it very clear that you have to recognize their feelings also, that they're mm-hmm. also going through it and they're, they're hiding some of their feelings because they are trying to protect their parent that, right. Yeah, that's right. having a hard time with it. Yeah. Right. Another part of her framework is continuing bonds, maintaining relationships. I think that for families that have, you know, one of the family members missing, of course, you want to continue that bond. But it's also it can be challenging in like everyday society to do that and and be around people that are willing to continue those bonds with you. Like. I know it's probably difficult to be around people and hear my story and then want to engage and talk to me about the baby. Like even uh, Kate and Ian, you know, they lost a a godparent for Gracie because they weren't interested in supporting the family. And it might be jumping to conclusions here, but they lost that relationship, you know, like maintain those bonds too and continue those bonds and help the people who have lost the loved one continue bonds right. with them. Listen, just listen. Like there's, it doesn't take much to just listen. Even if you're not listening, just be there. No, or take them out for year. Yeah. Just take them and just be there. Just, you know, even that part, just to escape for a minute, just, you right. know, it just helps to, you know, laugh at something that just happened on TV or laugh at somebody that's being stupid at the bar or whatever. Sometimes that is all you need to just like, all right, I can reset and go back and, you know, just keep going, whatever it is that we're doing. You know what I mean? Yep. She says essential messages. So, you know, what the kids need to know about themselves. I value you. You can handle hard things telling them basically what they're doing is good and right and, you know, encouraging them. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was choice actions. So the time we look at what children need and put in place, how to live as a family living forward. That was, Mm -hmm. that was a different way to, or different spin on what we've sort of been accustomed to grief world is moving on living forward. I think that's a better way to do it, but mm-hmm. I might argue that a little bit too, because sometimes I live sideways. Sometimes I'm like, you know, like I, I'm not advancing and I'm definitely not moving backwards. I'm just sort of at like this status quo. I'm attempting to right. live forward, mm-hmm. but right now I'm just, <laughs> I'm just yeah. cruising along anyway. Let's see what else. Oh, what she had mentioned too, that really stuck out to me was that she was talking about what, you know, we were talking about what grief looks like for kids. 
And she mm-hmm. had said that kids will grieve and it may not look like they're grieving, but they're grieving. Right. Uh-huh. That was that was interesting because she pointed out something that I I only assumed like uh-huh. when my nephew, the baby's brother, would be quiet. Is it because he's grieving? You know, like and I didn't want to to invade his grief space, if that makes any sense, disrupt right. his grief space, if that's what he was doing. But she she says that, you know, if they look okay they're probably not okay (laughs) right yeah right you would imagine that like for me when I would hear like if he lashed out in anger I thought well you know what he's got a lot of reasons to be mad yeah so you know are we making excuses or is that really what he's doing or you know what I mean and it it's it's difficult and like I said I wish we would have had someone like her when you know, when it first happened so that we would 100%, know what to expect. And 100%. I think the hardest thing for me has been just dealing with my own and then having to deal with somebody else's. But yeah, really, I mean, we're all trying to make sure that, you know, the cousins and the sibling is, you know, going to be okay. Right. We're all in it as a family to try to make sure. I just wish we would have had a little bit more direction from somebody that actually knew what they were talking about yeah yeah but maybe this is going to help this is going to help our other families that yeah who are newer in the journey exactly Mm -hmm. exactly yeah just basically honor Mm -hmm. honor their feelings honor their grief honor okay (laughs) and honor of course the you know the sibling that passed by remembering him mom i thought it was funny that she had said you know I forget what she said or how she said it, but she said something along the lines of don't force them to talk. And I felt like that's all you did. (laughs) (laughs) I did you during that part too. And I snickered because I was like, Oh, mom did a ton of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But like, it's hard to know what to do. Like if you don't have, Michelle's expertise or you don't have someone like Michelle to share that wisdom of what you know she experienced and how we can best support the kids <laughs> you kind of just wing it and you think well, you might be doing something good but you never you never know it might not be so you just don't beneficial. I know you just don't but to be honest a lot of it has to had more to do with the way I how I was dealing with my grief yeah. And so I wasn't trying to hide it in front of the kids. I wasn't trying to hide it in front of anybody. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to start talking about it because that's how I feel. I didn't want it to be like a secret that we're all, you know, the reason that I'm angry is, you know, because I'm still mad at God. And the reason that I'm not talking right now because this song came up because it reminded me of the baby, you know, yeah. and her suffering or, you know, yeah. so. I get it. And it's, it's, (laughs) yeah. Even with the communication that I have with Steve, it was like, he'd say, you know, what did I do or something? Cause you're mad. Well, it's got nothing to do with you. It's because I'm angry and I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at God. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've seen more recently and something Michelle touched on too is people encouraging the use of 
the word dead, the word death, dying. That's so hard for me to say. Is it? I say why? past. I know, but why? I don't know. I, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say dead. It, it is. I don't know. I, I want to say because it's so like final. Yeah. And I feel like past, like they're on the other side and I'll see when I'm past or dead and I'll see her. Hmm. And past to me, I think also signifies like when I see the butterfly, when I hear the song that it's her. Yeah. Dead just means like there's nothing left. There's no emotion. There's and no... that's true. Yeah. 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 But I get it. Maybe that's part of the healing that I have to get through because I have to be comfortable with those words. I should yeah. be able to say that. Yeah. I hear you. I'm it with you. So I'm, I'm yeah. trying to use those words, but I still I'm with you. I have a hard time using them. It's like I think it's a shock. Because it is a shock. I think because people aren't expecting maybe when you talk about children to be dead. Right. Like maybe it might. Is it different for you to say that your mom is dead than to say that your granddaughter? I still stay past with my mom, too. I don't say that she's dead. I don't use that word. It's not common for me to use that word. Mm. I even at work, I think I don't use that word. I could say DOA. I can't say dead on arrival. I can't say dead. And I shouldn't say I can't. It's just not comfortable for me to say it. Mm. And part of that conversation too, is she says that, you know, with children using the word dead, because if you say that grandma went to the moon, and then you want to become an astronaut. Like, I get that. I know. That. I thought that was cute. <laughs> that was That's cute. That's the cutest thing. <laughs> so if somebody would have said that to me, I would have been doing the same thing. I want to go where she's at. In fact, yeah. we said that. We want yeah. to go wherever she's at. Yeah. yeah. So she shared what to encourage people to say. She, you know, if you'd say, I don't know what to say, you know, but acknowledging what happened saying your loved one's name, all of that. She's, she admitted, she says she's still awkward with others. I feel like I'm fucking awkward constantly with people. I appreciated her saying that. And what I thought, what was really emotional for me and she teared up too and cracked a little bit too, was when she was talking about how her, how David's classmates honored him as they yes. got older, as the class aged, right? So she shared about yes. getting letters. She shared about, you know, from the classmates. She, yes. she talked about speaking in front of the classmates class. And then one of David's classmates putting a picture, his picture in a locket, walking across the stage and saying, you know, he walked across the stage too. We Aww. remember him. Yes. Setting up a memorial at like graduations, like all that eats me alive. All of that are those missed milestones that you watch, like you watch the class, the kids class that your child would have been in grow and you can't help but feel sad that your child is missing from it. Yes. Yes. That's going to follow us forever, though. Forever. But it's nice that she's able to have that recognized by the classmates that were in her son's class. Yeah. And how beautiful that they 
remember him. How beautiful that they continue to do things to honor him. Yes. But it, yeah. it obviously shows. And this was why I had asked those questions about the friends, because I know that, you know, our baby had friends, too, and they spoke at her funeral services. And I yes. just my heart goes out to them because I know that this loss affects them. It and, does affect them. And I want to support them, you know, like I want to just make sure they're OK or make sure that they they know they're not alone out there. You know, we grieve too. And your loss of your friend is valid. You know, like I, I just don't want them to ever feel like weird or alone because now they're like, they were the friend of the kid who died. Ooh, I said the D word. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's just, it's, it's validating to hear that my concern is valid. You know, it's, it's validating to hear that my thoughts about, how they progress or how they grow up and having this grief sort of linger over them that they will have, you know, hopefully they can hear Michelle and Michelle's sort of um, the work she did and, you know, incorporate that into their grief and, you know, um, just communicate what their emotions are and have people that can support them through whatever emotions they're going through. Yeah. But yeah. And you know what? I think that was, there was so much she covered and I know I missed a bunch that I really wanted to go through, but there were some things that at the end that we sort of asked, or you asked her something, you know, about your anger. And I appreciated your question because obviously (laughs) I'm (laughs) angry too, right? But I, I thought that her response to you, and I might cry right now, just even thinking about it, but I think that her response to you, she was talking to me too. Like I definitely Uh appreciated the fact that she was like, you need to give yourself permission to be angry. Yeah. I give myself permission. (laughs) That's great. That's great. But I, you know, hearing from someone that has been through it and isn't angry telling me that it's okay to be angry was like my heart. I think that's what is helping me right now, like get back into my religion is because I did in the beginning feel like, do I really have a right to be angry? You know, like why, why am I so angry? But it's because I've been trying to suppress it because I was so angry, but being able to cry about being so angry, being able to voice that I'm so angry has helped me to like, you know, I'm, I need to, I need to get back to who I am instead of being my angry self. It's part of my life, but it's not a hundred percent part of my life anymore. And not trying to blame anyone or anything anymore. Um, Mm. but I still have the moments when I remember certain things, I still have those moments, but they're not as, again, not, you try to suppress it. If you tell yourself you shouldn't be mad, then, you know, you're not dealing with that anger and allowing yourself to be angry, I guess, instead of saying, you know, why am I so angry? I guess it does help to, to know that it's okay to be mad. Yeah. But then, you know, she's, she like, 
I think feel like I could talk to Michelle all day, every day. She yeah. has, she just has so much yeah. to say and so much to offer. She really does. She said at the end, that was, that was sort of a trigger and not in a, a good way, but in a bad way, but it, I know it wasn't meant to be a trigger and she would have no idea, but she said, I'm sorry you have something to be angry over. I'm sorry that this is what happened to your child. Yeah. Like that. And I'm tearing up talking about it, but like, I know. I'm sorry we have this shared experience. Like, no one's ever said that. <laughs> it's <Right>? so weird. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it is, I don't even know how, how to word it. Just having somebody say that kind of helps. I don't even know why I needed to hear somebody say, I'm sorry that we have this shared experience. Hearing those words, it's amazing what a difference that makes to hear it. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. (laughs) It's terrible that she's had that experience. And it's not terrible that she's, you know, she invested her life into helping others. That's not terrible. What's terrible is that that experience exists. That's it. It's true. But I guess maybe we need to incorporate those same words that she said to some of the people that we've come in contact with also. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry this happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Mm -hmm. There, I I felt like I only touched on the top layer of what she gave us, but I would like to just encourage our folks that are listening, our griefists out there, Please connect with Michelle if you think it'd be helpful for you. I hope that you took away some of the, some little things that can help you through your journey. Like what she said, first and foremost, self-care, self-care, self-care. Please take care of yourselves and go visit her website. Go visit her Instagram. I'm going to be sharing if I haven't already. Go make yourself an apple crisp and remember David and remember Michelle. And we hope that you guys are entering into this holiday season, spending it with your family and your loved ones. And I think we will wrap this one up. Mom, what do you say? See you on the next one. See you on the next one. Love you. you, Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you.